Matthew chapter 20. Sometimes when you come to a new chapter, there's a tendency to think that I'm in a new section or a new thought or a new beginning. And it's important for us to remember that the chapters and verses were put in later so that we could reference them. So that we could, so when I say Matthew chapter 20, I, I, you could get to where I'm at. Otherwise, I could say, well, turn, your, turn in your Bible to page 866 because that's what it is in my Bible, but you guys all might have different Bibles and you might be on different pages. So they put in these chapters and verses to help us all get together. But in, as we break into chapter 20, it's really a continuation of chapter 19. It's the same thought. So what I want to do is I want to review a little bit of chapter 19 so that we have the right context going into chapter 20. Because when you get things out of context is when you have, a, have, have the, the danger of misunderstanding or misinterpreting it. So previously in chapter 19, a rich young ruler had come to Jesus. And this man was wealthy. He was powerful. And as we said, he was young, but he knew there was something that was missing in his life. And as he approached Jesus, he asked him, he said, Jesus, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? In other words, how do I earn eternal life? I want to be guaranteed eternal life. What do I have to do to get it? And Jesus replied, he said, you've got to keep the commandments. Just keep the commandments. And the rich, wrong, rich young ruler responded, which ones? Well, which ones do I have to keep? And then Jesus to him said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And although he only mentioned the ones dealing with man's relationship with man, he didn't mention the first four, man dealing with God, he was saying, basically, you've got to keep them all. Keep all of them. And the man replied, probably with a smile on his face, all these things I've done since my youth. I've always kept all the commandments. But interestingly enough, he knew there was still something missing in his life. I'd lived my life the way I was supposed to. I lived up to the, I lived up to the standard. And now he kept the commandments according to man, but he didn't necessarily keep them according to God's standard. Not, he hadn't heard Jesus teach the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 7. He described them, he, he kept them the way, the best that he could, and he felt that was good enough. But he, yet he still realized there was a problem in his life. He still realized, I've done these things since my youth, but there's something that's still missing. And Jesus wanted to address that problem in his life. Rather than just give him a prescription, he wanted to point out the issue. And the problem was that this rich young ruler was worshiping wealth. He was worshiping his stuff. It was his possessions that were his problem. That was what the focus, although he was religious on the outside, what his true heart was, was on the inside. And Jesus revealed that when he said, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now that was not a prescription for every Christian, but for this man, Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, dump your God of stuff and come follow me. And then in verse 22 of chapter 19, it tells us what happened, what the young man responded. It says, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. He walked away. I envisioned him with his head hung down. Why? Because he had great possessions, it tells us. He, he, I can't give all the way. I'm not giving all that. That stuff is more important to me than following you. That, that stuff, I, I can't do it. And immediately following this exchange, Jesus made the statement. He said, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And we talked about that last week. And that statement alone, it astonished the disciples. They, they didn't know what to do with it. They literally said, well, then who can be saved? 
It's impossible. Nobody can be saved. Meaning that salvation is completely impossible. And then Jesus proclaimed, you're right. With men, this is impossible. You're right. It is impossible with man. But then he didn't stop there. He said, but with God, all things are possible. Your salvation tonight, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can't earn that on your own. It's impossible. You can't do it. But with God, through what Christ accomplished on the cross, through your faith, it is possible. And that's the only way that it's possible. Now, Peter's listening to this. He overhears the conversation. He's there. And he says, wait a minute, Lord. Wait, 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 wait. We've left everything. We've done what you just told him to do and he couldn't do. We're better than him. We've left that. We've done it. It's almost as if he's saying, we're doing what that rich young ruler couldn't do. What are we going to get, Lord? That's what he's saying. That's what he has. What do we get? That's what a part of us all want to know. What's, on it? What, what's in it for me? Well, you're going to get blessings and you're going to get to sit on a cloud someday and strum a harp. Why should I follow Jesus? Listen, I'm telling you, if I got to sit on a cloud and strum a harp for the rest of my eternity, that's going to be miserable. I can't sit still now. I can't imagine all of eternity floating by on a cloud. It would drive me nuts. So much more than that. But there's always a part of us that goes, what are, what are we going to get? So Peter says, well, what are we going to get out of it, Lord? And Jesus told Peter, he said, you, Peter, and everyone else that has left houses and family and land and all this stuff, everything that you've left to follow me, you're going to be rewarded greatly. I'm going to give you back a hundredfolds. And he also said something important. You will also receive eternal life. Because you sacrificed, because you laid down what was so important to you, and I was more important than anything in this world, you're going to receive eternal life. Because you followed me, you're going to get eternal life. But he closes out the chapter, chapter 19, with this statement. He says, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. Many who are first will be last. And that's not the first time we're going to hear that tonight. In other words, he's basically saying things aren't going to necessarily look like you think they should. Things aren't going to happen the way you think they should happen. In other words, he's going to tell us the way that God distributes rewards may not be exactly what you expect. But I assure you, you will get what's promised to you. You can guarantee, you can hold on the promise of God. You're going to get all that you have coming, all that's promised. As we come into chapter 21 or chapter 20 tonight, keep in mind Jesus is still answering this question from Peter. What are we going to get? What are we going to get? What's it going to look like for us? Tell us what the future holds, Lord. And he's also going to explain the statement, many who are first will be last and the last first. And he's going to do it through a parable. So pick up with me, chapter 20, verse 1. It says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarii a day, he sent them into his vineyard. In that day, if you didn't have steady work and you needed a job, you could go to a specific location to the marketplace and you would bring your tools with you and you would wait for someone to come hire you especially during harvest season, that would be a good place to go if you were looking for work. You wanted to get there early because they wanted to hire you to work all day because there was a lot of work to be done. You would get there at daybreak. The first hour of the day was usually, it was considered around 6 a.m. when the sun was coming up. So you would go to the marketplace and you would wait for 
someone to hire you. And there's still many places around the country today and in, in many cities that, that I've been in. You can, early in the morning, men will gather in a place looking for day labor, looking to gather work for the day because they need, and, and guys will come by and they'll hire them if, they, you know, if this is what I have, this is what I need, and they'll wait to be hired. At the same time in that day, if you were in need of laborers, your harvest was coming in and it all comes in at once. You can't afford to employ somebody full-time, but when the harvest comes in, you need to bring in the laborers. You could go to this marketplace. Those people who are looking for work were there, and during this harvest season, you could provide them with plenty of work. But you didn't know how long it was going to last, because once you harvested whatever it is you were harvesting, the work would end. The average price for a day's labor was a denarii. You got a single denarii. And the man in the parable was a vineyard owner, which means he was growing grapes. He planted and planted and harvest grapes. He said, if you'll come work for me, I will pay you a single denarii. What happened is when the grapes were ripe, it was important for them to get off the vine quickly so they would not overripen. You wanted to get them off at just that right time, just that peak time, and you had to do it all at once. So to do this, it was common for the vineyard owners to go out and hire all of this day labor to get as much done in a single day as he can. And they would work for a single denarii. Now, what's a denarii? I brought one with me. I don't know if you can see that or not. That's a little silver denarii. It's from the first century. It's a, it's a real denarii. It came from the time of Christ. How many of you would work, would work all day for that? All day for this. Okay, it's worth a little over $200. Now would you work all day for it? Yeah, I work all day for it. I would now. In that day, it was worth about a penny, okay? Because this is an ancient denarii, because it's older, because it does come from the first century, it does have some value today, but in that day, it was a very little bit of money. It was probably about a penny. I bought this the last time I was in Israel. So you, can't, you can look at it afterwards. Come find me if you want to see it. You, can, you can't have it, but you can look at it. That's what a denarii looks like. So the vineyard owner agrees with the laborers on a wage of a denarii for their day's work, and that was pretty common, and off to work they went. Then the third hour of the day is going to come. Now the third hour of the day, they start the first hour at 6, so the third hour is about 9 a.m., okay? They hired some at 6, and now the third hour is going to come. That's about 9 a.m. The landowner realizes, we're not going to get the work done. I'm going to go hire some more people. Verse 3 says he went out about the third hour. And he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And again, he hired some more workers and told them he would pay them. This time he said, whatever is right. And they agreed and they went to work. And then in verse five, again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour. And he did likewise. The sixth hour is about 12 noon. The ninth hour is about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And about these times, the vineyard owner, he goes back out. He sees some guys there. He needs some more workers. He hires them, and he puts them to work. Verse 6 says, about the 11th hour, he went out, and he found others standing idle. Okay, 11th hour is, come on, do the math real quick. In your head, it's about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. That's late. The day's almost gone. There's maybe an hour or so, maybe a little more left. The vineyard owner goes back to the marketplace he sees these guys standing around waiting for work. And so he asked there in verse 6, he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. In other words, all right, I'll hire you. I'll, you go ahead, go, go, pick, go, go pick grapes in my vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give it to you. 
Now, I'm, I am amazed they were still standing there at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm amazed. What time would you have gone home? If you get there at 6, you're looking for work, you've got your tools, you're, you're standing outside waiting for someone, you're watching other guys get taken off to work, and how long are you going to stand there waiting for work? This group of people, this group of men, and perhaps women as well, I'm not sure, was standing there at 5 o'clock in, in the afternoon. In order to get work, they had to put, them in, uh, to put themselves in a position where they could be employed. They had to be available. They had to be there waiting and I imagine them standing there all day. And there's their toolbox in their hand or their bucket or whatever they carry, their sack or however they carried their stuff. Just waiting for someone to come by. Waiting for someone to need some help. Waiting to earn just a little bit of money to bring home to their family so they could perhaps buy some food to put on the table that night. Because they may not have known where it was coming from. And now as 5 o'clock rolls around, there's only an hour or so left in the work day. They didn't go home. They were still there waiting. How long would you stand there and wait? What time would you have left? Nine o'clock? Ah, I waited three hours. Guess there's no work today. I'm going home and sit on the couch. Twelve o'clock? Ah, go home and get some lunch. I don't have any money. You can't get lunch. Two o'clock? Three o'clock? Four o'clock? Would you have still been standing there at five o'clock? Guess there's no work today. Or would you have remained to the last possible moment? Would you have been available until dark? That said, you know what? If somebody comes by... If I can earn anything, if I can do anything, I'll do whatever I can, and I'm going to make myself available for the last possible moment. You see, see it's important as Christians, we put ourselves in a position to be employed. I've heard many people say to me, I'm looking for a job. How are you looking for a job? What are you doing? Well, nothing. I'm sitting on the couch waiting for someone to offer me a job. No, make yourself employable. Maybe you have to get training. Maybe you have to get school. Maybe you have to go fill out an application. Maybe you have to follow up on your application. Maybe you have to put out several applications. There's a, there's a process that goes through. These guys are still standing there at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I confess, I probably would have gone home unless I was hungry, unless I needed food. If I needed food, I would have waited there to the last possible moment. What was their situation? We don't know. 5 o'clock in the afternoon, the vineyard owner comes by, hires a few more, we're not told how many, sends them out into the field. They probably figured, they don't look down and go, well, I can't get anything done in an hour. Uh, listen, I'll, just, I'll tell you what, I'll just meet you back here tomorrow. Hire me tomorrow. I don't want you tomorrow, I want you now. You see, the rains would come in, and when the rains would come in, it would spoil the grapes because they, they would start to get wet and get moldy. They had to get them, they had to get them harvested today. They could have said, well, that's not worth it. For a, What am I going to get? A denarius, a penny? What am I, I'm going to get like a... What, a tenth of a denarii? Come on, that's, that's, that's not worth my time. No, they're harder. Their attitude, all right, I'll go to work. Anything's better than nothing. And off they go. Well, when the day is complete, the harvest is gathered, the owner calls all the laborers together. Look at verse 8. So when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers, give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarii, or denarius, same thing, a denarii. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarii. And when they received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. Imagine with me, the workers, 
they're lined up, perhaps in their groups. We're the early group, we're the 9 o'clock group, we're the 12 o'clock group, we're the 3 o'clock group, and we're the 5 o'clock group. There they are, lined up, all, 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 all next to one another. Now, the, the, the 6 o'clock in the morning group, they're dirty, they're filthy, sweat's pouring. Now, they've been out there in the heat of the day, but their baskets, I just imagine their baskets next to them. All they harvested, these huge baskets. As you go down the line, you got the guy's been working an hour. He hadn't even broke a sweat. They got like one basket out there, you know, one small basket. Hey, what did you harvest today? Ah, here's my basket. And all of a sudden, the paycheck starts coming out. They have their piles, their paycheck starts handing out the money. He goes to the guys that are hired at 5 o'clock. He goes, hey, here's your denarii. Now, here's your denarii. And all they have is this one little basket there, or, or whatever they had, this small little baskets. He starts handing out the money. And they get a full day's wage, as though they'd been there since 6 a.m. They'd worked all day. they get that single denarii, an entire day's wage for just a, a basket or two. Now there's the guy that showed up at 6 o'clock. He's looking down the line and goes, hey, he got a denarii for that. I'm going to get like 10 denarii for what I've got. I mean, look at all that I did. I worked all day through the heat of the day. I'm going to get so much more. I'm, uh, man, I'm going home. I'm going to tell my wife, we're going out to eat tonight. <laughs> I got, a, I got two weeks worth of denarii coming at least. As a steward hands out the money, he goes down the line. He hands everyone a single denarii. Everyone gets a single denarii. And those who had been there all day, they're dirty, they're tired, they're worn out. They got all this harvest they've done. What'd they say? It's no fair. It's no fair. It's not fair. I worked all day. They've only worked an hour. Look at me, I'm filthy. Why do we get paid the same thing? Look at all the grapes I harvested. Look at what I've done. Look how hard I've worked. The scripture tells us, says they complained against the landowner. Now the steward was the one giving out the money. So the steward gave them the money. They weren't complaining to him. It says they went to the landowner. In other words, after the steward or the overseer gave them the money, now they're complaining to the landover, landowner, the, the owner of the vineyard. Look how he responds there in verse 13. It says, but he answered one of them and said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarii? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? You see, the landowner reminded them of their deal. He said, I'm being completely fair with you. I'm honoring our deal. I told you I would put you to work all day for a denarii, and I'm paying you a denarii. You agreed to come to work for me at 6 a.m. this morning, or 9 a.m., or whatever it was, and I said I would pay you the denarii, and, and here I am, I'm paying you the denarii. Why are you complaining against me now? Is it not my right to do what I want with my money? Can I pay somebody more if, if that's what I choose to do? It's my money, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is. Then can I do whatever I want? I honored our agreement. I paid you a day's wage for a day's work. If I pay them any more than you or the same as you, what does that matter to you? Notice the landowner there. He never tells them why he paid them more. And you know what? He doesn't have to. He can do what he wants to. The reason for the landowner's generosity it's completely within himself. It's up to him to pay. If he wants to pay more, he can pay more. It's his money, his vineyard they hired, as long as he honors his obligation, which he did. It has nothing to do with how hard they worked. It has nothing to do with how much harvest they brought in. It has everything to do with the generosity of the landowner. That's how grace works. 
It's nothing to do with you. It's nothing to do with how hard you work. It has nothing to do with, you know, you can't say, well, I've been, it, I, can you understand why they're upset by this? I mean, if you were in that same line, you'd worked all day, and you saw them getting one, you'd think, I'm getting 10, then you get one. I can get it. I get it. I see why they would be upset. I, but I certainly see the point of the landowner. It's his, he can do what he wants to and to understand this parable, as well as the last verse there in verse 16, it says, So the last will be first, and the first last. For many, call, many are called, but few are chosen. To understand this, we need to remember Jesus is speaking to Peter in regards to the question, what will we get? Lord, we have forsaken all. We followed you. Oh, Peter, you will be rewarded. But it may not be the way that you think you'll be rewarded. Their mind, the disciples were thinking they're going to be rewarded in this kingdom on earth that Jesus was building. They're thinking they're going to be, have high places in his kingdom. And through this parable, Jesus assured Peter and the disciples that they will be rewarded. But the principle of many who are first will be last and last will be first meant that God may not reward them as they expect. Some people think that this parable speaks of the way people come to God at different stages in their life. Some may come early, some may come you know, when they're children, some may come when they're teenagers, some may come as young adults, some may come old age, or some may come to the Lord at the very, very end in the last moments of life. And it's possible, that's, that's certainly true. He could be making that point. And other people think it refers to how the gospel first began. In, in stages, you know, with John the Baptist and the preaching of Jesus and the preaching at Pentecost and the, to the Jews and finally to the Gentiles. And, and that's a possibility as well. And certainly they, these things could be true and as, as well. But I think it's best to understand this as this is God's grace. God's distributing his grace. God's distributing his blessings as he wishes. We get bothered by that sometimes. We get, we get confused by it. You can rest assured that all his promises to you will come to pass. You can, they are guaranteed. If you can hold on to them. They will come to pass. But we shouldn't be surprised when he begins distributing rewards and even blessings as it comes in a way where we maybe don't think it's fair. Maybe we don't, maybe it doesn't happen the way that we expect it. Even now, I have heard people get upset when God seems to be blessing somebody other than, them, other than themselves. Why is God blessing them? I've been a Christian longer. Why does God, why are they seem to be, why is their ministry being so blessed? Why is that young pastor, his church growing, but yet I've been pastoring for 45 years and my church is shrinking. It's not fair. How come, how come I've been, I've been with, I've done more work than him. I've harvested more grapes than him. I've harvested more people than him. I've harvested, I've done this. And there becomes this idea where we feel like we're entitled to something. It becomes an entitlement. I'm entitled to something, but that's not how grace works. That's not how it works. God says, I'm going to pour it out, and you, it's, you, you have no control over how much you get, and it's not based on what you've done. You don't, you don't earn it. But yet people still look and say, why are, why are they getting blessed and I'm not? Why does it seem they're, they're getting so much? Why, why are they doing good financially, and I seem to be struggling financially? Well, sometimes it's because you're not being wise financially. But other times it's just simply because God's saying, well, you couldn't handle to be blessed like that. You know, whatever the case is, we, we have this tendency to compare ourselves to everyone else. And here's what he's saying. It's between you and God, not between you and someone else and God. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Look upward and see, God, what, what's going on in my life? What is it that you have for me? Rest assured, you will get all that you have promised. 
When you find a promise in Scripture, hang on to it. It's guaranteed. There's, there's no tricks. He's not going to say, well, I didn't mean that one for you. No, no, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean everybody had grace but you. You don't have grace. No, that's not what he's talking about. You see, grace is getting what we don't deserve. It's when we get something from God that we don't deserve it. Yet what were these, what were these workers doing? They wanted more. They felt they deserved more. They got what they, God gave them. The, the, the landowner made them, the, he fulfilled his obligation, but they wanted more. They, wait a minute, if he's getting it, he got more than he deserved, so I should get more than I deserve too. They begin that competition thing. We can't really come to God and say, I want grace, and then complain when he doesn't give us what we feel we deserve. Which is it? Do you want to, be, do you want to stand before God on what you deserve? I hope not. I hope not. Well, I know I've got a few good things. Yeah, but there's a lot of bad things there too. It's not just a few good things. You got it works together. You know, I mean, all our, our good deeds are like filthy rags in His sight. We a lot of our good things we think are good that probably aren't really good because they're done with the wrong motives. But you can't say, Lord, pour out Your grace on me, but then give me what I deserve. It's not fair. They're getting something. I, I want what they have. We don't want to come before Him based on what we deserve. We want to come before him based on his grace. We have the tendency, when we look around, we see people like Billy Graham, and we think, well, he's going to receive all kinds of crowns and all kinds of rewards in heaven. And I don't have any doubt that he will. Great man of God accomplished much for the Lord. He's going to receive all kinds of blessings. However, i got to tell you that I think there's some people who worked behind the scenes. They worked in obscurity, back there where no one could see them. Perhaps during their breaks, they went and found a quiet place to pray for Billy's ministry. Perhaps they found a place to serve where no one recognized them. Perhaps they were never set foot on a stage, but yet they were part of his ministry. I think when the rewards are given, they'll be at the front. Who, who appears to be last because they were doing nothing anybody saw, they'll be at the front. Consider the thief on the cross. Came to Christ, believer in Jesus Christ, at the very last moments of his life. Started out ridiculing Christ. But at some point, he said he's done nothing wrong. And he said to him, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. And what did Jesus say back to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. And you, there's a tendency to go, well, well, he couldn't have lived for Christ. He only lived for like as a Christian for, for like moments or maybe a couple of hours. What, what, what good is that? How, how, is, how does he have any fruit in his life? What, what, what could he possibly be, re, be rewarded for? But consider the fact. Can just consider for a moment that he may be rewarded for every thief and every prisoner that looked upon his story that was publicly written down that came to Christ because he turned to Christ at the very last moment. So consider, you go, you, you think, all right, here we are at the awards ceremony, at the judgment seat, here we are, we're going to get it. it. Believers, we're going to get our rewards. And here comes the thief on the cross, and, and well, you don't get much because you, you weren't a Christian very long. She says, wait, 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 wait. Do you see all those people over there? Those were all the prisoners that when they read that story, they came to Christ. Those were all the thieves that when they read that story that he could be forgiven, they said, I can be forgiven too. He's going to get their reward too. They're going to get rewarded, but he's, he was part of that because it traveled down further and further and further. You know, it's amazing how we look at that. Perhaps Charles Spurgeon summed it up best. He said, my last word to God's children is this. What does it matter 
After all, whether we are first or whether we are last, do not let us dwell too much upon it, for we all share the honor given to each other. When we are converted, we become members of Christ's living body, and we grow in grace and get the true spirit that permeates that body, we shall say when we are members of, of it is when members of it is honored, this is honor for us. When God's body, when God's when Christians are honored, we're honored with that. Haven't you noticed that when a Christian is dishonored, we're also dishonored with that? We're also torn down. He also went on to say, if God shall bless your brother and make him ten times more useful than you are then you see that he is a blessing that he is blessing you not only blessing him but you if my hand has something in it my foot does not say oh i have not got it no if or if my hand has it my foot has it it belongs to the whole of my body in other words when a member of the body of christ is being blessed the entire body is being blessed we're all we're all in this together is what he's talking about there yet it's so easy to look back and think that someone i haven't done much I haven't lived very long. Go back to the thief on the cross. How long did he live as a believer? Not very long, yet I believe his ministry continues today as people read his story. And people are still coming to Christ as a result of it. Now look at verse 17. We'll just do another sec- one more little section here. So now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples aside on the road and he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him to the Gentiles, to mock, and to scourge, and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Jesus had left the region of Galilee. He had crossed over the Jordan River. He was coming up the Jordan Valley. He traveled down through it. He had crossed back over the Jordan River, and he's now headed up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is always up. It's at an elevation of about 2,500 feet. At the lowest point in the Jordan Valley, the elevation is about 1,000 feet below sea level. So from 1,000 feet below sea level, they're coming up to Jerusalem, about 2,500 feet. So a total of about 3,500 feet they will be climbing. When you make that trip, and there's a road, the modern road today that you drive along through the Jordan Valley, and when you come up into Jerusalem, the moment you crest the hill, you have a magnificent view of the Temple Mount. It's absolutely gorgeous. I wish it, was, uh, I wish it wasn't so, so many houses and buildings and stuff that you could actually stop and enjoy it, but you come across this hill, and you just get a beautiful view of the Temple Mount, of coming into Jerusalem. And that's where they were headed. That's, that's the direction they were on the way to. His words to them are clear. He tells them, I don't know that it could be any clearer. We're going up to Jerusalem. I'll be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn me to death. They're going to kill me, guys. But since they don't have the power to put me to death, they're going to turn me over to the Romans. Then I'll be scourged. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be hung on a cross. But following all that, I'm going to rise again. Now, Peter's question is still fresh. What do we get? We're following you, Lord. And Jesus just said, well, you're going to get to watch me crucified on a cross. That's not what I have planned, Lord. I got bigger rewards in mind. That, that's, that's, not, that's not what's happening. They had just asked about what they're going to receive for following Jesus, and he told them, listen, things might not go as you expect. You're going to get your rewards, but it's not going to happen the way that you expect it. It's not going to happen the way that you think it's going to happen. It's not, certainly not what they're expecting. At this point, the disciples did not realize 
They weren't even really listening to what Jesus was saying. They weren't even really catching it all. It didn't even make sense to them. Even though this is the third time he's told them about his death, his crucifixion, and the resurrection. This is the third time he's told them. You see, their expectation was so focused on Jesus establishing an immediate political kingdom. He's going to establish a kingdom. We know it. And these words from Jesus were so contrary to their very own anticipation, they just let one right over the top of their head. They couldn't even follow it. You ever had that happen to you? You ever been so consumed with what you thought Jesus was doing in your life? What you thought God was doing? And all of a sudden, it doesn't even turn out any way close? You think you have it all planned out. You think you know where he's going with it. Here's what I've learned in my life. Many times the Lord will say, all right, here you are, and you're going over there. And to get over there, you think you're going from here to there. But he goes, "Uh uh-uh, we're going here, we're going down, we're going up, we're going over, we're going back over here, here, and we'll eventually get there. And partway through, we look and go, what happened? This isn't going as I expected. Go out, plan a church someday if you want to, and see things don't go as you expect. Get married. It doesn't happen like you expect. It doesn't continue on the way that you expect it to. You've got some growing and some learning to do. Things don't always go as we expect. Have you ever been so consumed with something, with with what you thought God was doing, that when it doesn't go exactly like you expect, your entire foundation is rocked? That's what the disciples are about to face. Their whole world's going to be rocked. They're like, well, what do we get, Lord? We're following you. We're doing what the rich man couldn't. We're better than he is. We're going to see that they're going to have an argument about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom in just a short time. They're going to have this argument. Mom's going to come say, hey, can my two boys sit at one on your right hand and one on your left? They don't get what he's telling them. Their whole foundation is about to be rocked, what they're in for. Since Matthew chapter 16, we've we've seen Jesus saying, I'm going to die. I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm dying on a cross. But he says, I will rise again. He never, ever speaks of the cross without speaking of the resurrection. That's an important point. We need to remember that. He never talks about the cross, about the torture, about the suffering, about the pain. He never talks about it without the resurrection. He always talks about the resurrection. I point this out because I often hear Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, talking about their cross. I'm bearing my cross. I'm I'm picking up my cross. I'm carrying my cross. I'm going through this trial. I'm dealing with that struggle. I'm paying this price. I'm paying that price. But they never mention the resurrection. They never, they never mention what's coming next. They never, never mention the end of it. It's just, here I am. Jesus always talks about the cross, but follows, follow, when you do follow his example, he talks about the cross, but he always mentions the resurrection. Yet so many times, Christians, we start thinking about the difficulty we're in. We start thinking about the problem that we're facing, and we don't focus on what's coming next. We don't focus on what eternity is bringing us, what hope we have. Even if you weren't a Christian, there would still be suffering. Do you know that? Most of us, many of us, suffered before we became Christians. The only difference is now that we're Christians, we have hope. We know there's, some, we know there's an end coming. We know there's a solution. We have a promise to hold on to. That's the difference. That's why we can endure it. Every time Jesus talked about the cross, the difficulty, he always spoke of the resurrection. Remember, the one that we're following is seated at the right hand of the Father. He, he, it, it's played out. Whatever you're dealing with, it's only temporary. It, it's not going to be that way forever and ever and ever. And you go, well, it might be that way my whole life. Your whole life doesn't end the day that you die. He's conquered death. 
And I wish we could fully understand that. I really do. I wish as Christians we could really get it through our mind that the day that we take our last breath on this earth is the day that we step into eternity with him forever. You see, we've got it all wrong. We celebrate when there's a birth born. We should mourn. That poor baby's got to go through how many years on this earth, but when there's a Christian that dies, we should celebrate. Because he's going, he or she's going with eternity with the Lord. What a blessing that is. There's nothing better as a pastor. Well, there's, baptisms are pretty cool, but doing a Christian funeral for someone who'd walked with the Lord for a long period of time is fantastic. Because while you mourn and you miss them personally, you know they're with their Savior that they have longed to be with for so long. You know, they, they're just waiting for it. What a blessing that is. I skipped one little part. I want to go back to it. I said, I skipped the part. It says, for many are called, but few are chosen. Up a, up a few verses in verse 16. Many are called, but few are chosen. This is one of those verses that gets taken out of context all the time. What's he talking about? This was said in the context of the illustration of grace. It's God's grace. Jesus emphasized that both the calling and the choosing of God is based on his grace, especially his choosing. It's not necessarily a reformed verse. What he's saying is it's based on God's grace. God's choosing to pour out grace, just like the landowner chooses to bless one more than the other. Just like, the, just like one person goes, well, I worked all day for that. Well, I only worked an hour. You're both getting my grace. And I know personally that sometimes the confusion comes with Christians. And then sometimes as Christians, we can get, sometimes, you know, remember the story of the prodigal son? There was two sons in that story. You know that? One son stayed home. He did everything he was supposed to do. The other son, he was the prodigal son. He's the one that went out and lived it up. Okay? And when the prodigal son came home, when the father rejoiced, what did the son do that stayed home? He was mad. What did he say? I've been serving here my whole life. I've been doing everything you told me. Why is he getting the party? Sometimes we're that way as Christians when another believer is being blessed. Why are they getting blessed? How come I can't be blessed? That's not fair. I haven't done, I've, done, I've lived a better life than they have. Rejoice with them. Realize God's doing the blessing and God can pour out the blessing. And you will never be short on what you're owed. But don't compare your life to somebody else's. It's your life, is, between, is, is your relationship is between you and the Lord. Don't look across the aisle or the neighborhood or the street or the hall or whatever and say, well, I want what they have. You may not want to endure what they've endured to get what they have. I'd much rather be the son that stayed home and served faithfully than the one who went out and did all the things that he did and finally came to the place. And you know what the truth is? The father is just as pleased with both of them. But yet sometimes we get upset when we don't, God doesn't pour out his grace the way that we think he should the way that we want him to. You will never be shorted in what God has for you. His promises are true. But if he chooses to pour out his blessing and his grace on someone else, rejoice with them. Be, be able to rejoice with them. Because do you know what happens if you can't rejoice with them? You actually take away their blessings. Because they can't enjoy it because now they feel bad about it. And they almost say, well, I'll give help them too. You know, I don't, I don't, it's like you can, you know, if someone blesses you with, with, a, with a large gift, well, how come they got a large gift? How come I can't get a large gift? And they start feeling bad about it. Rejoice with them. Bless with them. Enjoy it. Let's, uh, let's stop there. We'll see next week as mom comes and intercedes for a couple of the apostles and see what he has to say next week. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. This lesson in grace. That it's your grace and it's for you to pour out. Lord, may we... We not ever look at someone's life and think we deserve more or we want more. 
Instead, may we be content with what you've given us. Lord, may it be our heart to please you and to follow you. May it be our will to trust that you know what's best for us in whatever situation we have. And Lord, may we be willing to conform to the scriptures. Teach us, mold us, shape us, make us more like you, Lord, as we study your word together. May this church be a place where your word is taught, where it's learned, but where it's also lived out. For it does us no good if we just learn it and never live it or never changes our life. We need to live it out. So I just pray that for all of us that study and hear this, would you minister to us? Would you convict us where we need to be convicted? Would you encourage us where we need to be encouraged? And may we have a desire to become more like you. May we yield to the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. May we be available always. In Jesus' name, amen.